Good day, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Fortinet Q3 2023 earnings announcement. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during this session, you will need to press star 11 on your telephone. You will then hear an automated message advising your hand is raised. To withdraw your question, please press star 11 again. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. I would now like to hand the conference over to Peter Sikowski, Senior Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Antoine. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Peter Sarkowski, Senior Vice President of Finance and Investor Relations at Fortinet. I'm pleased to welcome everyone to our call to discuss Fortinet's financial results for the third quarter of 2023. Speakers on today's call are Ken Z, Fortinet's founder, chairman, and CEO, and Keith Jensen, our chief financial officer. This is a live call that will be available for replay via webcast on our investor relations website. Ken will begin our call today by providing a high-level perspective on our business. Keith will review our financial and operating results for the third quarter of 2023 before providing guidance for the fourth quarter of 2023 and the the updating the full year. We'll then open the call for questions. During the Q&A, we ask that you please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up question to allow others to participate. Before we begin, I'd like to remind everyone that today's call will be be making forward-looking statements, and these forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, which could cause actual results to differ materially from those projected. Please refer to our SEC filings, in particular the risk factors in our most recent Form 10-K and Form 10-Q, for more information. All forward-looking statements reflect our opinions only as of the date of this presentation, and we take no obligation and specifically disclaim any obligation to update forward-looking statements. Also, all references to financial metrics that we make on today's call are non-GAAP unless stated otherwise. Our GAAP results and our GAAP to non-GAAP reconciliations are located in our earnings press release and in the presentation that accompanies today's marks, both of which are posted on the Investor Relations website. Ken and Keith's prepared remarks today for the earnings call will be posted on the quarterly earnings section of the Investor Relations website immediately following today's call. Lastly, all reference to growth are on a year-over-year basis unless noted otherwise. I'll now turn the call over to Ken. Thank you, Peter. Good afternoon, and thank you to everyone for joining our call. In Q3, we exceed street expectation in operation margin and free cash flow. However, building and product revenue fall below our expectation due to a slowdown in secure networking growth, along with challenges in self-execution and marketing efficiency. In response to the slowdown in secure networking markets, we are shifting our marketing and sales team's focus towards a faster-growing security operation and SASE market over the next few quarters, all while maintaining our consistent focus on leading innovation in secure networking and the convergence of security and networking where we have been a leader for 23 years. While we anticipate limited near-term growth in secure networking market, it is very important for Fortinet, as we believe, enable us our platform strategy with a massive footprint in the market leader, as the market leader in both firewall revenue and unit shift. The secure networking market is valued at 62 billion and is projected to increase high single digit annually to 86 billion by 2027. Our consistent focus on innovating our industry leading 40 OS, which supporting over 30 network functions, uh, networking and security applications, 
combined with our ASIC-driven performance capability, which provide five to 10x better performance on average than competitors, continue to drive our market share gains. Secure networking remains a vital part of our strategy and the market that we believe will return to double-digit annual growth over time. We have been innovating for some time in the faster-growing segment of a secure operation and the SASE. Security operation, also known as SECOP, is a $46 billion market growing at mid-teens annually to $78 billion by 2027. Fortinet SECOP platform is comprehensive and integrated, offering EDR, SIM, SOAR, NDR, and other integrated solutions. Consolidation in the security industry demands seamless integration and underlying security tools. Fortinet's strength lies in its innovation and its ability to enable automation through a high degree of product integration. Our AI and SecOp products empower automatic <coughs> response within seconds, all underpinned by a single consolidated management and analytic platform. In addition to SecOp, we have continued to increase our focus on SASE. A 17 billion market expected to grow and a 20% compound annual growth rate to 36 billion by 2027. We believe Fortinet is the only company with a SASE service solution that can perform all functions in the cloud, all in the enterprise, all with a common operation system, including four networking and security stack, market leading SD-WAN, ETA, and the management console. Our SASE service solution is supported by Google Cloud with over 100 worldwide SASE cloud location together with our own 30 plus point of presence and the data centers. For our plant-based use case, we accelerate SASE service function using our ASIC technology. For instance, we recently announced a 40 gate 120G with a security process of five which supported our four SASE offerings, which including SD-WAN, firewall, secure web gateway, big lock prevention, and boost secure computing readings six to 54 times better than our competition. We anticipate that success in SASE market will first come from upselling SASE service to an installed base of tens of thousands of SD-WAN customers and from attracting new customers looking to leverage our single vendor integrated SASE service solution. Our industry leadership in both firewall and SD-WAN, the two largest components of SASE, provide us with a significant competitive advantage. <clears throat> we have a track record of successful execution and believe we are the only company with strong SASE service and the set-up solution combined in the same operation system. This differentiation set us apart and provide us with a significant competitive advantage over peers. Why we expect top line growth to be modest for the next few quarters due to challenging secure networking comparison and our business transformation realignment towards security operation and SASE. We anticipate growth return to double digit by the second half of 2024. We remain committed to generating healthy operation margin of 25% or greater in 2024 and 2025. Before turning the call over to Keith, 
I would like to thank our employees, customers, partners, and suppliers worldwide for their continuous support and hard work. Please. Thank you, Ken, and good afternoon, everyone. As Ken mentioned, we are confident in our integrated 40OS-driven platform strategy, which is summarized on slides 6 through 10 of the earnings slide deck. As we look forward, we believe shifting our R&D and go-to-market investment into faster-growing SASE and SecOp markets is consistent with near-term market opportunities. As shown on slide 10, SASE and SecOps account for 20% and 10% respectively of our business today. And as shown on slide 7, these markets are expected to grow in the mid to high teens annually. Secure networking, which currently accounts for 70% of our business, is expected to experience slower growth, following two years of very robust growth. As a result, for the near term, we expect to deliver healthy profitability along with more modest growth. With execution and continued investment in the SASE and SecOp markets, we believe we can return to delivering mid to high teens top level growth, top line growth, and while continuing to deliver operating margins of 25% or greater. In other words, a return to balanced growth and profitability which has led us to achieve the rule of 40 status in 12 or 15 years, as shown on slide 19. In a moment, I'll expand on this strategic shift by sharing a few of the tactical steps and investments. But first, I'd like to review some highlights from the quarter. We continue to add new logos at an impressive rate and saw top-line performance in small enterprise and software was strong, while operating margin and free cash flow were above expectations. We added over 6,400 new logos, supported by small enterprise customers, which grew bookings by 19%. Our efforts to manage personal <clears throat> personnel and other costs drove our operating margin to 27.8%, 230 basis points above the high end of the guidance range. Free cash flow was strong at $481 million, representing a margin of 36%. Looking at billings, Starting from the third quarter of 2022, we saw a three-year compounded annual buildings growth rate, or CAGR, of 26%, illustrating our ability to drive strong and sustained growth over an extended period. In Q3, however, buildings of $1.49 billion represented growth of 6% as we experienced one-month shorter contract duration and, importantly, lackluster appliance demand resulting from elevated product growth in earlier periods. In terms, of, in terms of industry verticals, education and government buildings were strong, while service provider and retail buildings were weak. Small enterprise buildings growth was strong, while growth rates with larger enterprises disappointed. Buildings growth varied by geo, with international emerging showing strong growth, while our much larger geos of Europe and the U.S. were weaker. Turning to revenue and margins, total revenue of 16%, Pardon me, total revenue grew 16% to $1.33 billion, which compares to our three-year CAGR of 27%. The three-year CAGR was largely consistent with our 14-year CAGR illustrated on slide 18. Product revenue of $466 million, representing a three-year CAGR of 28%, was down 1%, reflecting product lead times and backlog aligning with historical levels and the lighter levels of network security demand can refer to. Service revenues of $869 million grew 28%, representing a three-year CAGR of 27%. Service revenue accounted for 65% of total revenues, driven by 34% growth in higher-margin security subscriptions, 
which represents 57% of total service revenue. We mentioned the three-year CAGRs to illustrate how consistent they are with these same CAGRs starting from our 2009 IPO, which are illustrated on slide 18. Each of the three-year CAGRs, billings, product revenue, service revenue, and total revenue, are within five points of the 14-year CAGRs for the same top-line metrics, adding to our confidence in returning to higher growth levels. Product gross margins were down 310 basis points as we saw margin pressure related to inventory levels. Service gross margin was up 60 basis points as service revenue growth outpaced higher levels of cloud and hosting costs. Total gross margin of 76.9% was up 70 basis points, driven by the increase in service gross margins and the six-point shift from product revenue to service revenue. Operating margin at 27.8% exceeded the high end of the guidance range, and operating income of $371 million was $33 million higher than consensus and $20 million above the high, end, the high end of our guidance range, reflecting our efforts to control spending. Looking to the statement of cash flow summarized on slides 15 through 17, free cash flow increased 22% to $481 million, representing a free cash flow margin of 36%, or nine points above consensus. Operating cash flow increased $68 million to 41% of revenue. Capital expenditures were $70 million, including $50 million of real estate investments. Cash taxes paid in the quarter were $26 million. As a reminder, free cash flow benefited from regulatory relief in the form of deferred, estimated, and other tax payments in the second and third quarters, totaling $192 million and $18 million, respectively. In the fourth quarter, we expect cash taxes to total $345 million, including the $210 million of deferred tax payments. We repurchased 10.4 million shares of our common stock for an aggregate cost of $605 million in the third quarter. In October, we purchased an additional 7.7 .7 million shares for $444 million, and our remaining share repurchase authorization stood at approximately $980 million at the end of October. Now, I'd like to share a couple of key sassy wins for us in the quarter. In a seven-figure upsell win, an existing financial services customer initiated their single-vendor SASE solution for 50,000 users. Fortinet was able to displace another incumbent as the customer continued their consolidation journey with us, supplementing their earlier SecOps, cloud, and network security purchases. And in a six-figure deal, an existing SD-WAN customer continued their strategic transition to SaaS and cloud-based applications by adding our SASE solution for 2,000 users. We believe existing SD-WAN customers such as this one offer a rich cross-sell opportunity for our SASE solution. It's worth noting these deals closed before our recently announced partnership with Google Cloud, which significantly expands our POP coverage by adding over 100 locations, and prior to Gardner's release of the inaugural single-vendor SASE Magic Quadrant, where we were named a challenger. By 2025, one-third of new SASE deployments are expected to be single vendor. I should also note Fortinet is recognized in nine Gardner Magic Quadrants as shown on slide three. Now I'd like to expand on Ken's strategic commentary with some of the tactical investments we're making to increasingly focus our efforts on SASE and SecOps. In the areas of research and development and solution delivery, in addition to the new Google Cloud partnership I just mentioned and our own data center investments, 
we're continuing to integrate single vendor SASE features into 40OS and continuing to expand our SecOps capabilities with AI technology and additional functions in enhanced integration and finalizing co-development agreements with existing large enterprise customers to accelerate continuous improvement of our integrated enterprise level SASE solution. Our go-to-market strategy, our investments include actively promoting our challenger position in Gardner's single vendor SASE Magic Quadrant, focusing on third-party certification of our broad and integrated solutions, including SSD and SD-WAN, and aggressively marketing for its competitive advantages and the key components of SASE, SecOps, and network security, as summarized on slide 10. Certifying 5,500 Fortinet sales professional and SecOps solutions after already certifying these same sellers in SASE, which is the largest sales enablement motion in company history. Investing in sales comp plans to include incentives to sell SASE and SecOps capabilities to existing and new customers. Expanding partner roles deeper into channel partners specializing in SASE and SecOps and developing channel training that is focused on differentiating for and its comprehensive and integrated SASE and SecOps capabilities. We believe Fortinet remains well positioned in the cybersecurity market, and the market shift to platform strategies is in early stages. According to Gardner, 75% of companies are pursuing a vendor consolidation strategy, reflecting the evolving landscape of cybersecurity in a highly fragmented industry with thousands of vendors. As shown on slide nine, Fortinet brings consolidation across SecOps, SASE, and network security, the three key growth drivers in our strategy. Organizations are recognizing that an integrated security solution with a single operating system is the best method to improve their security posture, as this approach allows each security solution to share data and communicate with each other, reducing complexity and improving security effectiveness. Attempting to piece together best-of-breed solutions from multiple vendors can result in slower AI-driven technology adoption, significant security gaps, and a slower pace of identifying, reporting, and resolving security incidents. Moving to guidance, we continue to see increased deal scrutiny and longer sales cycles, which is constraining our near-term results. We expect these longer sales cycles to continue, along with the associated budgetary scrutiny, and our fourth quarter guidance takes this into consideration. As a reminder, our fourth quarter and full year outlook, which are summarized on slides 20 and 21, is subject to disclaimers regarding forward-looking information that Peter provided at the beginning of the call. In the fourth quarter, we expect billings in the range of $1,560,000,000 to $1,700,000,000, which at the midpoint represents a decline of 5%. Revenue in the range of $1,380,000,000 to $1,440,000,000, which at the midpoint represents growth of 10%. Non-GAAP gross margin is 75.5 to 76.5%. Non-GAAP operating margin is 27.5 to 28.5%. Non-GAAP earnings per share are 42 cents to 44 cents, which assumes a share count of between 780 and 790 million. Capital expenditures of 40 to 60 million dollars. A non-GAAP tax rate of 17%. And cash taxes, as I mentioned, of 345 million. For the full year, we expect billings in the range of $6,095,000,000 to $6,235,000,000, which at the midpoint represents growth of 10%. Revenue in the range of $5,270,000,000 to $5,330,000,000, which at the midpoint represents growth of 
Service are in the range of $3,355,000,000 to $3,375,000,000, which at the midpoint represents growth of 28%. The service revenue guidance implies product revenue growth of 9%. Non-GAAP gross margin of 76 to 77%. Non-GAAP operating margin of 26.5 to 27.5%. Non-GAAP earnings per share of $1.54 to $1.56, which assumes a share counted between $790 and $800 million. Capital expenditures of 220 to 240 million, non-GAAP tax rate of 17%, and cash taxes of 430 million. As we look forward to 2024 and transition from a period of elevated product growth, we can offer a few thoughts looking forward. In the near term, we will continue to focus on improving profitability. We expect product gross margins to be pressured in 2024. Nonetheless, we expect healthy operating margins that are 25% or greater. We expect to gradually increase billings growth through the year and approach double-digit growth by the second half of 2024, reflecting the progressively easier comps due to the easing of the headwind from backlog draws in the first half of 2023 and the benefit of our SASE and SecOp focus. We expect contract terms to remain below our high water marks of 2022. Consistent with prior years, we expect that the timing of service revenue growth trends will lag product growth trends Longer term, we remain confident in our solutions and our ability to adopt our strategy to shifts in the market, taking market share as we increase our investments in SASE and SecOps, ultimately returning to balanced growth and profitability. I look forward to updating you on our progress in the coming quarters. And with that, I'll hand the call back over to Peter to begin the Q&A. Operator, uh, as a reminder, during the Q&A session, we, we ask you to please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up question to allow others to participate. Operator, you can open the call for questions. Thank you. We will now conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, please press star 1-1 on your telephone and wait for your name to be announced. To withdraw your question, please press star 1-1 again. Please stand by while I compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from Hamza Fadawala from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you for taking my question and good evening. Um, Ken, maybe just uh, for you, um, to what extent are you seeing um, SASE start to eat into firewall and, and network security budgets? Because clearly there's a, there's a bigger focus there. There's a, a dedicated go-to-market effort there. So do you think that SASE is starting to cannibalize the firewall market to some degree? Uh, I think it's a, it's a little bit different business model. Uh, SASE is more uh, the service of OPEX compared to uh, the networking DBMO CAPEX. Uh, during the slow economy environment, uh, customers definitely more towards uh, service-based OPEX. So we also uh, uh, see uh, some of uh, our service providers kind of uh, a little bit slower to adopt some of the SASE. That's why you, uh, we have been involved in SASE for a long time. And uh, uh, some of the, the service provider kind of uh, uh, slower than we expected. Uh, so that's where we kind of uh, change some of the strategy 
uh, more aggressively uh, uh, going sassy uh, ourselves, at the same time still working closely with the partner. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Brian Essex from J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon, and thank you for taking the question. I guess maybe, Keith, for you, as we look at um, the trajectory of um, product declines this quarter and, and billings growth, and I guess guidance implies that this is a billings trough this quarter, um, what observations might you have from other, we'll call them spending cycles, where you've hit negative product or low single-digit product revenue growth and the degree of recovery that you've seen after those spending cycles? And what gives you the level of confidence in your ability to, um, you know, I, guess, I guess, return to double-digit uh, growth for, for either product or billings or both uh, in, the, in the second half, um, understanding you're going to have easier comps as well? Yeah, Brian, great questions, questions, I should say. Um, one of the slides that we added to the investor presentation for this earnings call actually maps out the, what you can see that is a cycle, more cyclical nature of the business than maybe we've talked about in the past with product revenue. Uh, for example, 2017, I think we had product revenue growth of 5%, and that was somewhat of a low watermark. Um, the market may have been due, and, and I think there's some analyst studies out there uh, from other members of Wall Street that have kind of suggested that the market was due for a little bit of a pause in firewalls, and, and I think we're seeing that now. And perhaps there was some delay of that pause because of supply chain issues and so forth, something that may have more naturally occurred in 2021 or in 2022. Um, I, I think in terms of confidence broadly, you know, I think that was the intention of, of looking at the Kagers and the success of the company that Ken has led the company through since its IPO and what those kegers are. And if you look at that combined with that new slide in the deck, you understand that there's going to be, there has been in the past been volatility in the industry and in the company, um, but over the longer stretch, you see some very attractive kegers in that. Yeah, long term, we still believe the convergence of uh, network into network security uh, will be happening, uh, which also validated by, like on, as you say, by 2030, uh, the network security, <coughs> secure networking will be larger than the traditional networking, uh, especially in the campus environment, in the enterprise. And uh, so we do believe uh, it's a huge market opportunity. Uh, we have a unique advantage <coughs> with our integrated operation system, with our ASIC acceleration. Uh, we're keeping gaining market share in both secure networking and also in the, in the SASE market. Uh, that's helpful. Thank you. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Fatima Boulini from City. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my questions. Uh, Keith, in your prepared commentary, you specifically called out uh, the service provider and retail verticals. Uh, perhaps exceptionally weak in their binder. And uh, Ken was just sort of alluding to some of the challenges they're stemming from service provider buying behavior. Uh, but I was hoping you could provide a little bit more detail as to uh, why have the spending patterns in these particular verticals 
become uh, so dramatically weak? Uh, and, you know, was this in the, in the scope of your assumptions as you were thinking about the pipe? Just wanted to get a better understanding of, you know, how and why um, the, the buying intentions have sort of rolled over in, in these two areas specifically. Thank you. Yeah, I think the service provider commentary has probably been reported by a number of other companies through this earnings cycle. I don't think that's a um, – the, the headline itself is, is not a surprise. I think the – the significance of the slowdown in the service provider, at least for, for what we saw in our business, was a surprise, particularly because it's a worldwide service provider number and not just in the U.S. Um, but as I also noted in the prepared comments, you know, we saw weakness in both the U.S. and the Europe, European markets, and that applies to service provider and to the retail sector. Um, I think the retail sector probably is, is perhaps a little bit more prone to some of the digestion of, of SD-WAN projects that they're still working their way through. Maybe that's a little bit different as well as some of the economic headlines were probably a little bit disconcerting to the retail sector in the earlier part of the quarter. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Tail Lani from BOA. Please go ahead. Thank you. Um, I have two questions on the same topic. It, if, if you go back to the last two years, um, you talked a lot about non-appliance sales, meaning uh, upsell, SD-WAN, which is an add-on service, and then non-40-gate. And when things start to slow, quote-unquote, we only blame the, the appliances. So the question is, in retrospect, when you look at things and you look at the other parts of the business and you look at the add-on sales and the other features, are they all based on you, the ability of you selling appliances, meaning even if it's a non-40-gate, it's being attached to a 40-gate sale and that's why it's going down with it and, or an SD-WAN, et cetera? So first, just to understand kind of the total exposure of the company um, from all the successful products that they were, you were able to sell over the last two years, and, and now in retrospect, just to understand how, you know, how is the exposure to appliance. And the, next, the second question, which is related to it, is if, if really it's about appliance sales, what is the outlook for 2024 when it comes to do you have any big refresh cycle? Um, what could drive outside of easy comps, that our comps are getting easier through the year? Is there any, anything that you're planning on your end um, to drive some kind of a replacement or refresh of, of the appliances. Thanks. Uh, yeah, it's Ken. Uh, I think for uh, IC1, uh, they do need appliance uh, to be in place to deliver all this IC1 function there. Uh, we usually offer IC1 as part of the 40OS 40K function for free, and we started launching the IC1 service uh, last quarter. Uh, so it's still in the ramp-up stage. Uh, we do believe uh, long-term uh, all this service will, will keep in, uh, accelerating uh, like, uh, uh, this, like the SASE market will be grow faster than the uh, secure networking market. Uh, I think that that's where for certain like uh, I think it's a, there's a chart on the, on the presentation shows some of the product and, and the service uh, which I think is on page 19. 
you can see some of the cycle up and down there. Uh, also, some of I do believe relate to uh, the new ASIC and also product launch uh, because we just started the new cycle of uh, uh, the new SP5, uh, which uh, we have one or two products just starting launching, which uh, gave us like a, a five to ten times better performance and more function and uh, the same cost. Uh, which also uh, uh, combined with the supply chain uh, kind of elevated uh, uh, shipment of building in the in the last two three years. I think all this combined together, I, I feel have uh, affect our price uh, sales in the last few months. Uh, but I do believe this things will go back to normal uh, probably in the second half of next year. Uh, after the new product being fully launched, uh, after uh, the supply digestion, uh, inventory digestion kind of uh, goes through, uh, because we do see the the long-term conversion story still holding well, and we have a position with a better integrated OS with a, with the AC acceleration, uh, and the, and the, uh, our plans is a part of the whole solution. Uh, it's a hybrid solution, both our plans the cloud, uh, especially we call the universal SASE. Uh, so that's where there's some kind of cycle. Uh, if you refer to the page 19 of the presentation, uh, we kind of probably uh, go through that cycle right now. Yeah, Tal, I'd maybe add to Ken's comments. I, I think you're you're correct in that, your, your inference, but the vast majority of the time, our first sale to a customer is a firewall. It can be a virtual firewall or it can be a physical appliance, and really that is the beachhead to then go sell these other uh, security functions and products. Um, I think what you're seeing is in part of the, the shift of strategy, we talk about uh, making the investments in not only SASE but also secure ops. It's really that secure ops product of family like EDR and SIM and SOAR and such that you're seeing us doubling down on the investments there because while it's not the largest of the three market segments, it is the fastest growing, and I think we have the opportunity to participate in those markets more, particularly now that some of our products have reached a greater level of maturity. Got it. Thank you. Huh? Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Sackett Kellia from Barclays. Please go ahead. Okay, great. Hey, uh, Ken. Hey, Keith. Thanks for taking my questions here. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask two together. Uh, so so maybe for, for the first one, Ken, for you, just maybe thinking about the long term and and specifically in the SASE part of the business. When do you feel like Fordnet will have a solution that can compete head to head with other SASE solutions? Maybe the answer is now, right? But just want to hear how you think about it. And and how big do you think this part of the business can be longer term? Right, so that's the first question. The second question for you, Keith, is um, it's great to see the, the operating margin beat. Maybe you could just talk about how you're thinking about sort of midterm profitability, because clearly the, ben, the, the business can generate higher margins than 25%. How do you sort of think about that balance now, kind of given some of the changes here? Yes, the first answer is yes. It's now uh, we are head to head competing. And we also believe we have a much better solution, better integrated, and uh, at the same time, uh, much better cost ROI compared to other competitors on the SASE. And also the universal SASE is very unique uh, because they offer uh, both in the cloud, on the plans, on campus, uh, all the same solution, uh, which a lot of customers 
uh, more like our solution. Uh, instead of uh, sometimes you have to deal with uh, traffic, whether in office the office have to forward the pub uh, because our solution you can process some traffic locally on campus uh, within uh, their appliance. Yeah, and Saka, you make a great point about whether you're talking about free cash flow or you're talking about operating margin. The company does very, very well on the bottom line, and you know, the strategy has been to, to continue and reinvest that uh, back robustly in both innovation in the form of R&D spending, but also in go-to-market, you know, whether that's marketing and whether that's selling. Um, you know, I think what we're looking at right now with the slower firewall market, obviously we're, we're trying to bring new solutions or better solutions to, to our sellers to sell when the firewall's a little bit slower. Um, but I do think it's a worthwhile conversation and looking at, you know, the, the sales coverage, if you will. We've talked for several years about how many, in North America, for example, how many accounts do we want per rep? We started with 65, I think, four or five years ago. We were talking about that. That number is now down to 10. Uh, and at 10, you're probably reaching a point of where you're on the enterprise side. You're probably reaching a pretty good coverage model for our business. Uh, you could probably go a little bit lower, but that, that feels pretty good. Uh, I think there's another opportunity right now immediately in front of us in terms of, you know, how do we continue to support our channel partners, be they distributors or be they resellers, uh, and make sure that we're getting the right level of, of mind share from them. So I would suspect there will be some, some investments in that part of the business as we go forward. Um, at the same time, you know, I, I think there's some opportunities here, and Ken's talked about it with us, about, you know, how to be more efficient in how we're spending our money, whether that's in selling or marketing or, or back office functions or what have you. So. Um, you know, we're not trying to guide to 2024 today, obviously, uh, but we did think that it was important to provide at least some early thoughts in terms of maybe a floor for what 2024 should look like for us on the bottom line. Got it. Very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. One moment for our next question. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1-1 and wait for your name to be announced. Our next question comes from Brad Zelnick from Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead. Great. Thank, thank you very much for taking the question. I, I appreciate that as you lean into SASE and security operations, your most obvious advantage is in having an industry-leading install base. But for those of us that, that have always viewed Fortinet's distinct advantage as the price performance of your purpose-built hardware, and you, you've also had a go-to-market, both direct and indirect, that know how to showcase that, um, I'm just trying to get my head around all the changes in distribution, both direct and indirect, which I, I appreciate, Keith, you made comments about sales enablement, but how do you think about the investment in dollars and time needed to get distribution properly ramped, and can you ever achieve the same level of sales productivity that you've enjoyed when the motion was more box-centric? Uh, we, we do believe uh, uh, in this fast-growing SASE tech uh, market, uh, the sales training, uh, sales restructuring, and at the same time, more efficient marketing is, uh, is very, very important. And uh, and also, we we are continuing working closely with our, our channel partner uh, with our distribution network uh, to uh, to reach in very broad customer base. Uh, so we also thinking the upsell cross opportunity is a huge and uh, uh, especially goes through our partner network there. 
so I don't feel the the investment we made uh, in the in the past will be uh, uh, any issue or, or kind of any uh, slow us down. Uh, we do believe will we'll actually helping us to expand in this uh, more service based asset market and also uh, a more consolidation uh, secure of uh, approach. Yeah, and I would just build on Ken's comment, Brad, and, and all good and fair questions. You know, it's it's not by accident we're talking about SASE. If you if you if you go back and think about it a little bit, we've been talking about it in in, in a number of different ways. You know, Ken's talked about the the POP strategy, which now you you see um, you know us accelerating that POP strategy with the cloud providers to come to market more quickly. Um, you know, the Gardner Magic Quadrant, I think, is a catalyst. You know, the, for the single vendor strategy and having us in the Challenger Quadrant. You know, gives us the bona fides, if you will, to, to have a lot of conversations. You know, the single vendor strategy, that install base that you referred to. Um, you know, we went back and looked, and you know, uh, over the last uh, two quarters, we've done several hundred SASE deals already. And to be quite honest, that was without any real wood behind the arrow in terms of marketing support or sales support. It was really just how it grew. Um, and it's interesting. You know, while I would have expected those first sales to would have been clearly dominated by SD WAN, they were not. SD-WAN customers. They were oftentimes there were just as many brand new customers coming to us for the SASE solution as there were SD-WAN customers. Or, in a similar vein, the third part part of the pie were customers that are bars for other firewall use cases. So I don't, you know, in, in the expectation that our we're going to be successful initially in the smaller part of the market, um, I don't think we disagree with that. Uh, when I look at that same mix of of SASE customers. Nearly 50% of those of those SASE customers that we signed already would be in the SMB space, uh, and then the remainder was kind of divided up between the larger enterprises and the mid enterprise. So, um, I, I don't think we got here by accident. We may have chose not to talk about it as publicly, but I think we're well positioned now because of the investments that we've made in the data centers, the pops, the operating system, the Gardner Magic Quadrant, the fact that the single vendor and the install base. You know, I, I think this is the right strategic strategic shift for us to make at this point. Thanks for that, Keith. And just a quick follow-up, and I know it's a topic we've spoken about in the past, but as SASE increases as part of the, the mix, and I know strategically you've partnered with Google um, to, to, to help deliver the infrastructure, how should we think about the CapEx required to, to do this in a competitive way over the longer term? Thank you. Uh, we do have a good partnership with Google, and at the same time, uh, some other service providers uh, like Digital Reality, and we also build some of our own, uh, uh, like a data center pop, uh, over 30 is owned by ourselves, which is really give us a more cost advantage. Uh, so we're continuing that strategy, uh, but that do need time to run pop. So the Google is a very quick uh, solution uh, for us, for customer. And also we feel we separate, uh, we kind of realign the, the market into three different segments. Secure networking, SASE, and secure up is much clearer, uh, much better line up with the customer need, and also meet different customer demand. Uh, so that's much better, more clear compared to the pre previous one we have, uh, whether the 40K or some other, uh, like a enhanced non-40K product. Uh, we feel this is a clear three segment uh, line up quite well with the customer demand. Uh, so we're starting tracking based on this one. Also, we're starting. Uh, compensate sales and the train sales and marketing along all these three separate uh, uh, segments uh, of the market. Uh, we feel that will be uh, more clearly to us, uh, internal for customer to our partner, uh, to, to to really kind of drive what was customer really need uh, in the current environment. Yeah, and Brad, I'm sorry. To Ken's point, to Ken's point, look, I, you know, we were. 
uh, last quarter we were talking about 20 pops because we were building them ourselves, right? Now you're talking about over 100 locations, well over 100 locations. So I think there's a go-to-market opportunity there that this brings to us. I think longer term, and we know that one of our competitors, this is the approach they take, and we have pretty good visibility, obviously, to what their margins are and their investments there. Uh, and there's another player in the space that's, that's much more, you know, building their own pops, if you will. Pops individually are not huge things, right? I mean, there are a single-digit number of racks that really have a pop, I think. So, uh, you know, I do believe you need some forward-stage data centers, and I think that's consistent with our strategy that we've talked about, about increasing more and more hosted delivered services, and particularly in PsychOps. Uh, so I, I think this is not something that we're going to surprise people with in terms of our, our CapEx spending. Makes perfect sense. Thank you. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Adam Tidal from Raymond James. Please go ahead. All right. Thanks. Good afternoon. Uh, Keith, it sounds like you're confident in profitability and free cash flow, which, which makes sense. Obviously, the model has proved itself over the years. So I wanted to ask about capital allocation. The balance sheet's already very healthy. You've got a lot of capacity. Right now, the market's pivoting towards universal SASE and SecOps, as you mentioned. Uh, curious how the conversations have gone internally to potentially accelerate your pivot uh, towards that with larger M&A. And conversely, you know, if we look at the after-hours action here, the ROI on share repurchase is looking uh, potentially very strong. Uh, you know, the opportunity to potential step up uh, share repurchases. Just in general, how you're thinking about using the balance sheet as a weapon uh, during a time where the, the business and stock is pressured. Thanks. Yeah, I, I think we included a comment in the uh, in my prepared remarks that the available uh, we still have nine as of the start of the month, start of the week, I guess uh, we had 980 million dollars of available authorization for the for the buyback, and, and I think you saw some of the numbers that we provided in the prepared remarks about you know, being fairly aggressive in, during the quarter itself as well in, in terms of buying back stock. Um, Ken doesn't let me go shopping for companies very often, so I'll, I'll defer to him in terms of his thoughts on that. Uh, we, we are we definitely keeping looking. Uh, I think right now the multiple probably more reasonable than the last one to two years. Uh, and also we do realize the marketing also changing pretty quick. Uh, we'll continue to the internal innovation. We feel we are the strongest on the internal innovation engineer among all the space players. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we also are open uh, to looking for some other uh, company uh, which we can uh, 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 working together, drawn together. Okay. And one quick follow-up, uh, just to make sure Peter kicks me off the call next time for this one. But uh, it'll be in the weeds, Keith. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I want to ask about supply. Um, we've been monitoring inventory commitments. They've been elevated for a little while now. Um, obviously, demand is deteriorating faster than expected. And we're just trying to think about how to manage inventory and future inventory given this new state of demand. Um, you know, where that might manifest itself in results. I think you mentioned product gross margin pressured. I wonder if that was related to that. But any comments on kind of managing this uh, oncoming inventory uh, relative to the current demand? Thanks. Yeah, it, it, it is related to the inventory levels, and I think we've been managing it for the better part of the second half of this year. Um, and that's some of the commentary that you're getting as we look into 2024 in terms of where the pressure may come from. Any way to quantify it, though? For 2020? No. Uh, yeah, we feel still in a healthy level, and uh, we tend to keep about six months inventory. 
Uh, that's where, uh, like, uh, when uh, two, three years ago, the supply chain issue happened, we are in very good position because also a lot of time our customer uh, needs some urgent delivery of certain products. So we're probably still keeping the similar policy there, uh, but also we're in a refresh cycle of our uh, new product, especially on the low end. Uh, I think so far we, uh, I think it's we, uh, we also kind of raised the price uh, in the last two or three years. Uh, now since starting to stabilize and, uh, and supply changing from the shortage, it's a little bit more towards even some year oversupplied. Uh, so we are feel we are in a pretty good position because we more handle this uh, operation manufacturer directly. So we handle it better than most of our other competitors uh, on the inventory right now. Very helpful. Thanks, Ken. Yeah, we also don't see a big issue about uh, the current inventory level. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Adam Borg from Stiffel. Please go ahead. Awesome, and uh, thanks so much for taking the questions. Um, maybe just on the sales execution issues that you talked about in the script, maybe go a little deeper on what exactly what exactly happened and, and a little bit more about the steps you're taking. And, and maybe just as a follow-up, just on the uh, the, the, the SASE partner, partnership with GCP, I know it's obviously just been a couple of weeks, but maybe talk about early customer feedback uh, from initial conversations. Thanks so much. Yeah, we, uh, if you look in the last two or three years, uh, we grow a lot of uh, business, uh, also hire a lot of salespeople. And uh, the last uh, two or three years, we probably doubled the business. And at the same time, uh, during the supply chain, you should uh, somehow certain sales feel get too easy to to get deal <laughs> uh, because uh, it's uh, always a shortage of certain certain product there. Uh, so that's where we feel we need to enhance the training uh, enablement uh, and uh, at the same time also need to be more disciplined uh, about the performance. Uh, so that's at the same time we also when we shift in this to uh, more like a service-based SaaS or kind of a consolidation uh, cross-sell multi-sell uh, uh, of a secure op, uh, the sales also need to keep in learning and uh, at the same time the marketing need to be uh, kind of a, a more efficient and also uh, kind of a position to the new new growth opportunity. Uh, so that's the focus we have right now. So we are definitely keeping looking to be uh, more efficient uh, in both the sales and marketing going forward. Great. And what about the early feedback on uh, GCP? On Google Oh, uh, yeah, it's a very good. Uh, that gave us a very quick uh, start to match any other competitor on the location. Uh, number of location, number of pop, and uh, they also have very broad coverage, uh, so it's a good partnership. And at the same time, we continue to work with some other partner. We also continue to build uh, ourselves, uh, and the long term, we feel we have more advantage than uh, some of our competitors because uh, we always have a strategy uh, invest in some long term uh, uh, kind of a long term investment strategy, uh, including some real estate, some other part. Uh, which give us a much better uh, long-term return. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Patrick Cov Coville 
from Scotia Bank. Please go ahead. All right. Thank you so much for taking my question, Ken, Keith, Peter. Um, my question is about the, uh, I guess, kind of qualitative guidance you guys gave for 2024 billings. If, I'm, if I remember correctly, last quarter, it was expect kind of high teens bid and growth uh, exiting fiscal 24. Was the commentary this quarter expect double-digit growth exiting 2024? I'm not sure I'm following the math. You... I, I'm just trying to um, – so last quarter, you guys gave some kind of like a forward look for 2024 billings. And if I, rem- if I remember rightly, the kind of forward look was expect exiting billings growth um, to be in high teens. Um, earlier in your kind of prepared remarks, uh, there was a comment which was expect double-digit growth in the second half. I, I guess, you know, did, uh, are we going from high teens to double-digit? Is that the change? Yes, yes. And, and I, think that's, I think that's prudent given what we've just seen in terms of the, the third quarter performance. Okay, very clear. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Joseph Gallo from Jeffries. Please go ahead. Thanks for the question. Um, I've got a two-parter, one for each of you. And Keith, as a follow-up to that last question, appreciate the commentary on bottom line floor for 24. Can you just talk about the methodology of top line guidance? Is this a rip the Band-Aid off guide, or what underpins the confidence and visibility in a reacceleration of billings? Is it SASE turning on or just um, hardware digestion only taking two to three quarters? And then, Ken, given what you're seeing with AI, do you believe adoption of AI workloads eventually shifts workloads back to on-premise and drives a higher need for firewalls long-term? Thanks, guys. Yeah, and I wasn't quite sure if the question was about the Q4 guide or the 2024 commentary about numbers. More for next year, but both. It has the methodology for your top-line guidance change um, following the past two quarters. Yeah, I, I would say that, well, if we just deal with the, the – where I'm actually giving guidance for the fourth quarter, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the assumed uh, uh, close rates, if you will, uh, are dramatic. I, I think they're the lowest assumed close rates I've seen that I've used in over five years here for context. Um, and they're obviously lower than what I saw in the – what I used for the first half of the year. Um, you know, I think that I, I would say there are indicators that the pipeline quality is better in the fourth quarter, uh, but in given light of what we've done for the last two quarters, I don't think that should put much stock in that. So I'm content to just assume a much lower close rate than I have more recently. Uh, 2024, not really giving guidance. I think that, uh, again, we're talking about buildings here, and, and I know we're all aware of it, but really you know, focus perhaps more on the impact of backlog and what it did to buildings in Q1 of last year and Q2 of last year and how that eased throughout the year. And so you're really going to see comps change. I don't know that we're necessarily assuming a dramatic growth or ramp of bookings, if you will, uh, at this early stage for 2024. Uh, we do expect it's going to improve as we bring SASE online more successfully and, and secure operations. But I, I think it really part of what you're hearing there is really getting clarity on how the backlog impacted 2023 numbers. Yeah, the, it's a it's a very good, interesting question about the, the AI and the security. Uh, I have to say, um, uh, definitely AI uh, was starting uh, 
kind of uh, get into the security very quickly, both by the good guy, bad guy. Uh, but uh, in the generative AI side, I feel uh, in some degree the, the bad guy probably more leverage some of that one, and uh, the the the, per, the protect side are still more using what we have been doing in the last 10, 20 years, more like a precision AI and uh, make sure we we block the attack but not block any, any good traffic. But also the general AI also helping lower supporting costs and uh, also helping the secure operation. Uh, so it's uh, uh, definitely the AI will keep in driving the security growth and uh, uh, both uh, uh, in the cloud and also appliance. Uh, we do see appliance also long-term very healthy growth, especially uh, we call convergence of uh, networking to networking security, especially in the enterprise, in the campus environment. And uh, we see that trend will continue to uh, uh, to grow well. And uh, our unique advantage, uh, leverage integrated OS ASIC, uh, will continue to, to lead in the market and keep gaining market share. Uh, so long term, I don't see any slowdown uh, of these appliances uh, getting into the cybersecurity space. Thank you. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Gray Powell from BTIG. Please go ahead. All right, great. Thank you for um, uh, working me in here. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, so um, maybe a clarification and um, a follow-up. Uh, so you laid out the, the, the breakdown for, for, for billings, um, or, or the new breakdown, uh, between secure networking, SASE, and SecOps. Uh, did you all talk about the relative growth rates um, that you're seeing today for each segment? And then within secure networking, is there a way to think about how much of the slowdown you're seeing there is related to the core firewall business versus some of the networking components like switches and access points and, and stuff that may have been more, um, uh, that, that may have benefited more from like um, supply chain and budget flush and, and, and things like that. Yeah, I think we do give the, the market growth uh, for the three segments going forward. And we also believe we're growing faster than the market growth, can gain share in all the three segments. Uh, related to the, the firewall 40K versus some other AP switch, uh, we do see more headwind uh, in AP switch, uh, for the AP 40 switch, uh, because uh, now supply chain issue kind of pretty much over. And uh, so it's, uh, it's uh, so that that's probably more headwind compared to the the, the firewall, uh, uh, secure networking firewall side. All right, fair enough. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from Eric Heath from KeyBank Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Great, thank you, and, and thanks, Peter, for uh, getting me in here. Keith, just for you, curious how the, the economics to the top line uh, uh, for Fortinet change when when a customer is kind of doing an apples to apples um, switch over from kind of a firewall customer over to a SASE, and then secondarily uh, with the shift away from firewall, just that probably means more of a shift to annualized billing. So curious how you're thinking about duration and that impact to free cash flow going forward. Thanks. 
Yeah, the, the second one's probably easier. I don't. The, we have such a large footprint right now with the firewall business that it's going to take a while for uh, any significant changes in SASE buildings if you really you know, think about it coming into and having an impact on our total term. Our term. Um, I don't know that we gave the number, but you know, we, we know that we've come back to a more – we've come down about a month year over year in terms of contract term in, in 2023 compared to 2022. We went from 28 months roughly last year to about uh, 27 months this year. Maybe I could be off by a month. but um, And you saw the impact in the financials. We've talked about that, you know, how much one month impacts the, the billings number. Uh, I think it's going to take a while for SASE. As I mentioned, we've already done several hundred SASE deals. We expect to be more successful early on with, one, in, in SMB spaces, and two, with our install base. Um, so I, I would imagine that um, it's going to take a while to really have an impact on free cash flow. Yeah, we also will be keeping uh, salaried uh, training for internal sales force, uh, also to our partner. Uh, for the new SASE setup operation, which is a little bit different than uh, mm-hmm. than the traditional uh, secure networking side. Uh, so that's we also feel the with the huge installation base we have in SD WAN firewall, which we are <coughs> we're leading. We're number one pretty much in all this area. We feel with a huge potential uh, to upsell, cross sell the SASE and uh, and secure up uh, once the Salesforce uh, once the partner get fully trained. Thank you. At this time, the Q&A session has now ended. I will now turn the call over to Peter Sikowski for closing remarks. Thank you, Antoine. I'd like to thank everyone for joining the call today. Uh, Fortinet will be attending investor conferences hosted by Barclays, Steeples, and Wells Fargo during the fourth quarter. Fireside chat webcast links will be posted on the events and presentation section of the Fortinet's Investor Relations website. If you have any follow-up questions, please feel free to contact me. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you, bud. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.